Good morning. Not everyone has anxiety when it comes to talking to others. Uh, if you are visiting with us, we are doing a Life of Paul series, and so that's where we are, and we are going to just continue right on, even with the special occasion of the commissioning coming up. So uh, here we go, and I would just want to say, wow, it seems like an incredibly fast week for me personally, like it seems just yesterday uh, that, even though it's been seven days now, that I, that I was t- trying to talk a lot of you who were here last week into doing the all-nighter sermon. You know, Paul, we were at the section where Paul was talking there uh, to Eutychus, and he preached all night, and he fell out of the window. That was our section last week, and, and so I was, it seems like just yesterday, that I was trying to convince you guys, let's do an all-nighter. Uh, we didn't, and, but we're back, and I'm glad to see you this morning, and we're going to pick right up where we go. It's a little bit of an ambitious goal today. We're going to try to cover 22 verses, which I think makes up like a week or so of Paul's life, and in these verses... We are going to hear something very different from what we've been hearing so far from Paul. So far, we have heard him give some amazing, powerful sermons, speeches that most of the time they are appealing to non-Christians, like to repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's always a great speech. These speeches have been so spot on with the gospel that we have now, we have taken these speeches, we have memorized them, or we repeat them, and we share them with our unsaved friends and neighbors and workers. Sometimes we share them with complete strangers. That's not the kind of speech, though, that we're going to hear this morning from Paul in these verses. Instead, we have a speech that is directly given to church leaders and indirectly given to all Christians. Paul is probably hosting the very first time ever pastor's conference. And and he started a movement that continues today, because if you don't know, this still happens. Like There are some very popular preachers that are out there, and one or two of them will get together for a few days, and and hundreds and even thousands of other church leaders will come and hear them be the keynote speakers. Paul kind of started this kind of idea that we're going to see from our text today. So, We're going to deal with some things that directly apply to church leaders. And I would say that we're going to deal with them in a way that that even sort of looks like they, church leaders, are accountable to God in a sort of different way than non-church leaders. But, 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 every Christian is indirectly applied here. So nobody gets an exemption pass. No one can say, oh, well, I don't have an official church title to my name, so this doesn't apply to me. This speech absolutely is for you if you are a Christian. I'd like for us to pray together and then look at Acts chapter 20. God, would you help us, each one of us, to see these verses exactly as you intend for them to be seen? We're asking for spiritual eyes. Would you be so kind and gracious to deposit truths into our minds in a way that makes us love you more and makes us look more and more like Jesus? Let these words renew our minds, refresh our souls, equip us, strengthen our faith. Any change... Whatever needs changing to our attitudes and our actions, do it through these words that we see in your word today. We ask all of this to be done 
In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. So there's three sections that we're going to look at in, in, in this passage. There's a big section. That's going to be Paul sharing his testimony. And then there's a smaller section, and that's going to be his counsel to the Ephesian elders. And then there's a smallest section, and that's going to be Paul saying goodbye. We're going to cover all three of these sections, and we're going to start by going from small to big to smallest. Okay, so here we go. Turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 17. Now from Agletus... He sent to Ephesus and called for the elders to, of the church. So Miletus is the site of the pastor's conference. Probably one of his traveling companions was sent back to Ephesus to get them. Pro, maybe Tychicus, because he was known as a faithful messenger. So he probably had the duty of going back to Ephesus, summoning all the elders to come meet Paul. And I don't know how long that would have taken. It was a two-day trip there, two-day trip back, and who knows how long it took for them to get organized and come. Like, were they Johnny on the spot, and they heard the call, nope, let's go right away? Or did they have schedules and had to clear the calendar and then come? So there's an idea, like, I don't know how long it took, but I think it's kind of amazing. It sounds like here that it was somewhat of a very quick turnaround trip. Like, he got there, called them, and they came back right away. Now, if you don't know what an elder is, an elder is one of the names given to church leaders. For all practical purposes, the term elder can be grouped together with other church leader words like pastor and overseer, shepherd. All of these words are used interchangeably. They might have slightly different meanings to them, but they all basically mean about the same thing. Here at Good News, we have elders. Voila! There they are good-looking bunch, right? Uh, you might know the guy at the top right up there. That's Mario. Uh, we heard announcements from Ron. He struggles with humility with the whole put my famous guy in there. He said the same thing in the first service. I thought he'd learn, but no, he just said the same thing. So I point him out there. Uh, these guys are our church leaders, our elders. Let me tell you how this comes about. They serve a two-year commitment, followed by a two-year commitment, followed by a two-year commitment. That's six years of service that they can have as an elder. And then by the church bylaws, they are required to take a break. And even if they're in a break mode, we still call them an elder. We may just call them an inactive elder, but we're always recognized here as an elder. And you can see from the picture that they are all men. And that's on purpose. We believe that the Bible teaches that our elders are to be men. And churches select elders in a lot of different ways. But here at Good News, the method that's used is this. The church elders, they will identify one amongst us if we need to get another elder. And they will cite him and find him and examine him and compare him to Titus and 1 Timothy, all the qualifications that require to be an elder. And if a man passes that, then he is presented to us, the church, not to vote on him, but to check him out and to pray for him and to see if maybe there was something there that the elders missed. And once all that happens, he is then becomes an official elder of our church. Um, here's the words that Paul says to the Ephesian elders at this conference that he's hosting. And let's look at those. Acts chapter 20, verse 18. And when they came to him, he said this to them, verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock that the Holy Spirit has appointed you to as overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and men will rise up 
from your own number with deviant doctrines to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years I did not stop warning each of you with tears. And now I commit you to God and to the message of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. So what do you think? Do the words that Paul and I spoke to these Ephesian elders 2,000 years ago still apply today? 1,000% they do. Paul stresses two main concerns to these elders, that they guard themselves and the people under their watch, and that they hunt wolves. Elders must live a life that has personal accountability and mutual accountability with other elders. Personally, it is a continual pattern of checking themselves and their relationship with God. Mutually, they check themselves with each other. There is a ton, a ton of wisdom as to why we have a plurality of elders here at Good News. Not one guy gets to call the shots. Not one has all the power. Not one gets to make all the decisions. But together, all of that happens. And I suppose Paul could have said, guard the flock first, then guard yourself, but he didn't. And I think that was intentional on his part. The importance of godly leadership within the church cannot be overstated. When an elder understands that he is first and foremost appointed by the Holy Spirit for the role that he has, oh, he is going to take that very seriously. He will guard and protect seriously. Just like a shepherd takes great care, great diligence to guard and protect his flock, even to the point of eliminating the dangerous predators, an elder does the same thing for the flock that he has been appointed. God has designed the role of elders to be done in such a way with such diligent care, such nurturing care, Because the cost that it took for God to purchase the church was a great cost. The price tag for the church is God's own blood. And a wise elder will take this calling highly and seriously. They must be alert day and night. They can't be lazy They can't be distracted because that's exactly what the savage wolves are waiting on. They're counting on that. The Bible calls people who teach false and deviant doctrines, they call them savage wolves, sheep killers. And these wolves come from the outside of the church and they also camouflage themselves and they get inside of the church and they're just waiting to pounce on the sheep. At Good News... We are so, so blessed to have men like these. I am thankful for our elders and how they go about their business. And maybe one of the greatest things I can say this morning is this. Pray for these people and their families. And to the elders that we have here today, and there are some in attendance, some were at the first service, I want to remind you of Paul's words here. The flock's greatest need is your personal holiness. You can do many great things here. 
You can look like a terrific CEO. You can make fi fabulous financial decisions for us. You can make wonderful, sound decisions. You can lead community groups. We can preach wonderful sermons. We can make hospital visits. We can do a long list of really good things. But the greatest need that we have here at Good News Church is for our elders to have a high understanding of their personal holiness. It is like the elder's personal holiness creates this spiritual force field that guards and protects us, the flock. And I need to say this. There are over a thousand people who would say that good news is the church that they belong to. That's a lot of bleeding sheep bah, everywhere, all around our community. Now, some belong a little better than others, like they may be more plugged in, attend more, uh, have relationships with everyone, but a thousand people? What's the chances that some potentially could be wolves lurking about? It is a massive calling to be an elder. And if anyone thinks that being an elder is just some cushy job where you get to hang out with Mario on Saturday mornings at the elder meetings eating donuts, think again. Good elders are guarding elders. And it takes a lot of time, energy, and prayer. Good elders are protecting vigilant, alert elders. And that means... Hunting wolves is a season-round job. That's Paul's exhortation to the elders. I want to look now at Paul's personal testimony. He says in verse 18 that when they came together, he said to them, you know from the first day I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. The whole time? Put that in a percentage. That's 100% of the time. That's the consistency rate that Paul is looking for. He wants to serve the Lord by serving others with humility and with tears and with the trials, the trials that brought on by those scheming and plotting Jews, which means Paul didn't only preach using words, but he also preached not using any words at all. There is a way to preach to others that doesn't use words. Pastor or not, every single Christian has the responsibility to model what Christianity looks like. That's a fact. When it comes to Christianity, we are always on the clock. And you've heard it. One of the biggest complaints that non-Christians will say about Christians is how they act on church on Sunday is so drastically opposite of how they act at home and at work, ball fields, and oh, those parking spaces. <laughs> the first group laughed, but I'm serious, it's happened. And you call yourself a Christian, not cutting me off from that spot. I'm, we gotta be careful of that. Every Christian has the responsibility to display the work of the Holy Spirit in them. And it should be flowing and oozing out of us as an example for other people to see. And a lot of times, it does not require one word. 
Paul mentions three specific areas of his consistency. Humility, compassion, and courage. Obviously, there are more areas than this of being consistent. Morality matters. Ethics matter. They matter to God, and they matter to others who are watching. Someone has said, and said it well, preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. How we act can positively or negatively impact a person. And I promise you, people are watching. It was Rodney Smith, a 19th century British evangelist. He's the one who said this. There are five gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian. But most people never read the first four. I think he's right. People around us aren't reading the Bible, but they do read you and me. Each one of us must grasp the gospel in a way that when it's understood, it results in our lives being lived consistently to the glory of God. Wordless preaching is a real thing. But so is preaching with real words. Look at verse 20. Paul has this to say about his words. I did not shrink back from proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching it to you in public and from house to house. I testify to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus. One of the reasons Paul has such severe trials in his life It was directly related to the choice of his words. He didn't shrink back. He didn't hold back. He didn't cave in to culture's pressures of the day. He didn't compromise. He said it how it was, and he let the chips fall where they may. And these verses say that he talked to everybody like this, in big gatherings and in small houses. If it was profitable, and it came from the Bible, and the people needed to hear it, Paul said it. And we have seen, as we've been studying the life of Paul, as we peek into his life, we have seen that there are some people who embrace Paul's proclamations, and they love him and his words. And we have certainly seen people who hate his words and him. To the point, let's make a plan to kill him. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me isn't true. Paul used words, and it hurt him. And can we all agree, when it comes to the preaching here at Good News, that we would all say something like this. God forbid that anyone ever stands where I am standing now and shrink back when it comes to proclaiming anything profitable from God's word. Amen? I, I admit, Mario might as well. There are topics and themes that aren't easy or enjoyable to handle when it comes to preaching on them. But we must. One of the ways that we keep from shrinking back is that we do a lot of verse-by-verse teaching here. And if the next verse is a tough one, if it's culturally unpopular, 
oh well. And by the Holy Spirit's leading, we want to preach in a way that says, this is what the Lord says. Now by God's grace, may we believe it and obey it. And another thing when it comes to preaching here, I think we would say that we share the same sentiment as Paul, what he says in verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of everyone's blood, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole plan of God. Shrinking back from preaching the contents of the entire Bible is not good for any people to sit under that kind of preaching. Don't settle. And at the same time, it is not good for a preacher to preach shrinking back because there is an accountability, a greater accountability to God that catches a preacher's attention. Better to not shrink back and receive physical harm from people, even to the point of death, because it is minuscule compared to the accountability that one has to God for shrinking back. James is pretty clear in his letter. Think twice before teaching and preaching, because there is a more strict judgment. And I promise you, as you are looking at this guy, that has my full attention. May God help us to just be faithful to God's word. The next thing that Paul shares in his testimony is how the Holy Spirit guides him. He starts in verse 22. And now I am on my way to Jerusalem, bound in my spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in town after town, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that chains and afflictions waiting for me. But I count my life of no value to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now I know that none of you will ever see my face again. Two things I think we should notice about Christianity in these verses. One, Christianity requires the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the compass that guides our thoughts, our words, and our actions as Christians. Don't ever say, and don't ever believe it if someone says to you that Christianity is easy peasy. Because sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to lead us to very hard, very difficult, and very painful places, even if we are obediently following and pursuing God. It's exactly what we see happening here, where the Holy Spirit says, Paul, chains and afflictions are coming your way. And there is a temptation to say, I'm going the other way. And we don't always know why these situations happen. But we do know that we have some tremendous promises from God to trust those promises. And we should trust those promises because God is not a liar. He keeps his promises. So if you are hearing for the very first time that Christianity isn't a cakewalk, it's true. Be ready for hard times. 
For everyone else who already kind of knows that, figure that part on, I say this. Let's be like Paul. Press on. Don't grow weary. Talk like Paul talks in verse 24. I count my life of no value to myself so that I can finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Which gets us really to notice the second thing. Christianity is ultra countercultural. In a culture that preaches self being number one, I'm all that matters, believe in yourself above everything else, Christianity comes alongside of that and says, count yourself as of no value. Culture's agenda, Christianity's agenda, they are radically different from each other. Culture says, it's my world and y'all are just living in it. I'm number one. It's all about me. And Christianity claims the exact opposite. It's all about God's world. And we are living in it. And it's all about Jesus. Christianity is ultra countercultural. And then down to verse 33, we see the last part of Paul's testimony. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands have provided for my needs and for those who are with me. In every way, I have shown you that by laboring like this, it is necessary to help the weak and to keep in mind the words of the Lord Jesus. For he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul isn't a freeloader. He's working hard. We know from our earlier study that he makes tents to earn an income. Apparently, while he was here in Ephesus, that's what he was doing. Besides having a ministry, he was working his own business that covered not only his own expenses, but here in verse 34, it says it also covered the expenses of others that were with him. We can clearly see Paul wasn't greedy. He was charitable. He gave to the weak. Probably means he gave to the poor. Paul was under the impression that when Jesus said it is more blessed to give than receive, he believed it in a way that his actions confirmed it. World Family Kids Camp is all about this. And that's Paul's testimony that he shares with the elders from Ephesus. I live consistently. I preach wordless sermons with actions like humility and compassion and courage and faithfulness. And I preach word sermons. And when I do, I don't hold back. I preach the whole Bible. I live with the Holy Spirit as the compass of my life. And though it may be hard, I obey. And in some strange way, there's this joy in my life that passes all understanding, which means I live an ultra-countercultural lifestyle. What the world wants and chases and glamorizes and idolizes, I don't. Like, I'm a Jesus freak. I live working hard. I provide for myself and others around me, and I live charitably, charitably, especially to the weak and the poor, because Jesus said that's best. What a testimony. And he ends the small section here in verses 36 through 38. Paul and the elders end their conference with a very emotional goodbye. Look at it. As he said this, he knelt down and prayed with them all. There was a great deal of weeping by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him. 
grieving most of all over his statement that he would never see his face again. And then they escorted him to the ship. What a teary-eyed final scene Luke describes. It is obvious that Paul loved these men and these men loved Paul. And their time together was seen as special. And breaking apart and going different directions is hard to do. But we must, at times. There will be times when God asks us, a lot of us, And we see that here from Paul and the elders at Ephesus. I want to close with just one overlapping application, and it's this. You and I are to imitate Paul because he's imitating Christ. Paul thought it was so important to have a godly testimony First, to the honor and glory of God, and second, so that all people, Christian and non-Christian, could see his life as an example of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And then the overriding question for us then is simple. Do we? Do we think of it as important as Paul did? On Tuesday of this week, I started compiling some questions. And man, does the finger hit hard in my chest. What if the entire church has the same commitment to God as you do? What if the entire church was obedient to personal holiness as you are? What if the entire church was as generous or non-generous as you are? What if the entire church supported missions the way you do? What if the entire church prayed the way you do? What if the entire church studied and applied God's word to the life the way you do? What if the entire church used their time the way you do? Paul lived in a way that was honoring to God and a good example for all people to follow. By God's grace, may we do the same thing. Let's pray. Father, it shouldn't come as a surprise that once again your word rings forth as truth. I thank you for a text like this. It helps equip us, helps sharpen us. And certainly as I just replay it through my mind now, Lord, I ask that our elders at Good News would be vigilant, that they would pursue holy living,
Yes for you. And yes for us. Guard them from the temptations that come from this world. Father, each one of us is a walking testimony of your grace. And I would ask that our testimony would be well-pleasing to you, that we would see the value, the importance, not to get puffed up ourselves and not to get slapped on the back of, oh, you're such a good guy, none of that, but that it all would be drawing attention to Jesus. Because he is due respect and honor. And I don't know, Father, it's just uh, talking about the goodbyes. Uh, the Redingers came to my mind just a little while back. We sent them out. And now they are making testimony for you on the other side of the world. So I pray for them, their children. Your grace would shine upon them. Thank you for your word and our time here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.